Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy boots. boots. Question time is here again, and this week our topics range from issues with citrus, avocado and eucalyptus trees to garden design and pond planting. One listener is desperate to stop ducks from swimming and pooping in his swimming pool and ruining the surrounding garden. I'm looking forward to Keith's suggestion on that one. So, Keith, here comes question number one from Stephen. He says, I have a few eucalyptus, how do you say, casea? Is it casea? Casei trees in garden, in gardens that I manage from Portsea to Mount Martha in Victoria. They've all been developing a fungus on their leaves. Is there anything I can do to treat it? Google searches have come up with nothing. Well, thank goodness for Google searches. Well, not really. Well, they haven't come up with anything. Thank goodness for muddy boots. That's right. You've got to come to muddy boots. Don't worry about Uh, Hi, Steve. Look... From the photographs that you sent through, this looks very much like what's called bacterial brown spot, which is a fungal disease. And that's when the conditions are right, they infect the leaves and the stems of eucalypts. Um, And and that's generally when there's just too much humidity and too much moisture in the air. So we're talking about eucalyptus casei here, which is the silver princess or gungurul, and it is a Western Australian flowering gum. It's a sensational looking plant fairly short-lived here anyway in Victoria because we have such shallow soils, um, whereas they, they have soils in WA that are 30, 40 feet of sand, you know, so they've got this mm. symbiotic relationship with fungal and all this fungus and all this sort of stuff that goes with it. So down here in, in Victoria and on, on the Mornings Peninsula, the problem is going to be the humidity that's in the air. That just um, promotes the best conditions for fungal disease and the spread of fungal disease. I'd suggest you move, uh, you remove um, as much of the the affected branches and leaves as you possibly can. Allow more air circulation and sunlight through, and then I would suggest that you spray with a liquid copper spray, and then do some regular follow up sprays with with that. Um, yes, Steve, it colonates the leaves and awaits for the right conditions to attack the leaves and then the stems. Um, once, the, once the fungus um, matures, pores are released and they will be airborne and they will travel to other plants. That's why it's important that you remove those affected leaves and branches and bin them. Mm, that's a pain. It is a pain. Poor Steve. Okay, question number two is from Chris. What is causing the leaves of my lime tree to fall off? The tree is in a large pot which is elevated and draining well. The potting mix is kept damp but not wet and it's mulched lightly and in full sun. It's pumping out new flowers but most of the upper canopy is gone. What advice could you offer, please? Now, Chris has also sent us some photos of his lime tree for Keith to have a look at. I have and they're no good to the listeners. No. We can't see them. No. All right, so this the, the damage that I see there... Chris, it's caused by the citrus leaf miner, which is a little chewing sod, little mongrel. So I would suggest that you mix up some eco neem and some eco oil. So you need, uh, if you've got a five litre spray, you need 25 mils of eco oil. And then to that, you add 12 mils of eco neem, mix it up a little bit, and then spray that on a weekly basis. Now this, if it's not the citrus leaf miner, it could be um, the orange bronze bug which is another problem, but regular spraying with eco-neem 
uh, and the eco oil is absorbed by the leaves, it's taken in by the leaves and becomes somewhat systemic. So whatever chewing and sucking insects come along next, they're dead. So that's the best thing I would do. And make sure you spray the whole plant, not just the front, what you can see, yep. spray underneath it. To run off. To run off, you know, in, a, in underneath the backside of the leaves, the works. So best okay. wishes with that. Yes, good luck. Now we have a question from Scott who says, I created a pond in my garden last year which is starting to settle and I've recently noticed tadpoles in it. Lately I've had a lot of algal build-up that I'm keen to clear up naturally. What plant should I be planting to help reduce the algae? I don't have any fish and currently have a water lily and some milfoil in the pond. Right. Um, water, water ponds and water features are not my speciality. I don't have a lot of expertise in that. But there are plants that will help with algae. Um, and what I would suggest you do is give Garden World, um, who are based in Springvale Road and Brayside in Victoria, um, they have a, a fantastic water world there. And they can be contact, contacted on 03 9701 My only other piece of advice is to get a, 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 some sort of... Um, product that will actually aerate the soil so a little little a little waterfall or a little um, aerator of some sort you know a little fountain will help to you know keep that that water moving circulated and will help to stop that algae ever forming mm, that's a good idea okay scott has another question for keith my second question is about water storage crystals are these safe to put in pot plants and hanging baskets i'm unlikely to grow edible plants in the pots and baskets but will probably take the spent soil out at some point and put it in my compost how natural are the water crystals well they're not natural but they're not a problem um, in fact, they're perfectly safe to, to using potting mixes and soils. And in fact, most of the good quality potting mixes actually have these little water crystals in them. So these little tiny, these little tiny um, crystals are actually the size of a, a grain of sugar. Um, and they're super absorbent polymers made up of identical repeating molecules. So, they, they, so they've got the same molecule all the way through it. And they just absorb any moisture that's going, going in through that, that potting mix and they lock it in. And the plant roots then absorb the moisture as it's required. Um, and these little crystals can actually swell up to 300 times the original size. And they generally last for about five years, um, which is about the right time for repotting anyway. So they're perfectly safe. Um, Use them. They're Go great. for it. Yeah. Our next question is from James. I think I've tried just about everything from plastic owls and flamingos to ultrasonic pet deterrents to stop ducks from using my swimming pool as a bathroom and ruining the lawn surrounding the pool. I'd appreciate any suggestions you might have. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, James, first suggestion, get a dog. <laughs> He's had a few of those. Get a dog because they'll chase they'll chase those little sods around. Um, the second second the only other thing I can suggest there is is get yourself a solar pool cover that stops access to the water. A mating pair will continue to use the pool, and as you already know, they create lots of problems with duckweed, poo, and lawn destruction. There isn't much else that I can suggest as a long-term long deterrent. People have tried snakes. Everything. They've tried just about everything. But a little dog? which makes a wonderful pet, gives yeah. it lots of exercise, or get a, a solar pool cup. That's all I can suggest, mate. Oh, I, I can't nice help to, you. I think that's, if you could 
if you've got a pool, you want it, don't want to have a cover on it all the time. So that's probably a problem as well. No, but, but anyway, I mean, you've got to break the cycle. You know, yeah. the, those birds have got yeah. access to the water all the time, mm. and by you know putting say when you're out, put the cover over, mm. they haven't got access to it. Mm. So they're going to go and find somewhere else that has. Mm. Hopefully, okay. Good luck, James. Okay, now for a question from Yen, who is one of our regular contributors. Thank you, Yen. What's wrong with my avocado tree? It's a Wurtz tree that I bought from the Diggers Club early this year and planted in a part shade raised bed with soil that is made up of compost and natural soil. It's been protected from frost with minor damage only with a browning of just a few leaves, but now, even though frost has passed, it has yellowing leaves. I've recently given it some controlled release fertiliser. The base of the tree has alpine strawberries around the edge and I'm wondering if it's a problem having these planted so close to the tree. Also, are the branches supposed to flop down or should I be staking the limbs? It's not like a typical tree shape with strong branches like a Y. Right. Hi, Yen. Um, the avocado is weather affected and will take time to settle down. Now, Yen also sent us in a picture um, and it shows the, the new leaves that are coming on look really, really healthy. Now, the thing you've got to remember about avocado trees is that they're a plant that has very, very shallow root systems, so no competition is preferred with any other plant. Um, there are lots of, lots of mulches, uh, like a leaf litter or compost, that will certainly help. Now, Wurtz is, um, is a variety that gets to roughly about four metres tall, and it is a naturally weeping form, um, and it's one of the, the smaller um, varieties of, of the avocados. You need to feed regularly with an organic fertiliser and you need to feed that around the outside of, of, the, of the plant, not around where the trunk is. Um, and then with, with, with your, your uh, first, um, first year plant, I would suggest that you remove all the flowers uh, and allow the plant just to put its effort into growth rather than procreation. So. Okay, so she had another question. I wonder if that's part of it. Uh, what is the proper procedure when your tree fruits for the first time? Mm. That's what I think what you said. Take off all the fruit for a stronger root system or let it drop naturally? Okay. Also, when you have a cluster of fruit on a branch, is it best to remove some? Yeah, I would always remove the fruit, even though it's tempting to leave them to enjoy them. Mm. And with, with tr fruit trees... Um, the fruit, once it's removed, they will not try to replicate themselves and they therefore put their effort into growth. They want a big, big, the big dominating plant in that particular area. All right, so you need to, need to take the, the, the fruit off in the first year. I know it's a shame, but it's just the best thing you can actually do. Um, with, with the clusters of fruit, you can cut them off, and this will allow the, the, um, the sap to seal the, 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 um, the plants over nicely and keep any sort of disease out. So go without fruit for the first year for sure. Fabulous. Okay. Now, I'm very interested in this next question from Laura, as it's something that I'm currently working on in our new garden. Laura says, I'm in the process of reducing our vast area of lawn by the addition of borders, a rockery, etc., all in an effort to minimise the water usage, but I'm struggling to find resources online to advise me on the best practice. When dividing up a garden space, specifically a large area, is it worthwhile to get a surveyor in, or is this something that you can do yourself? Secondly, how do you divide the space? How do you create rooms? Should there be an element of cohesiveness or is entirely different plant selection okay? Finally, what is the order of separation? Do you start with pathways and then define with hardscaping as in screens, boulders, etc. before planting? Can you cope with all of that, Keith? 
Oh, sort of. <laughs> Hi, Laura. Look, look, there's no easy to your answer. There's no easy answer no, to your question. That's it. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but if you if you have a big property, then engaging a surveyor is a great place to start because he'll give you all the information on a plan and at a scale. Then your job then is to write up a brief of all the things that you want to have in your garden. For example, are you going to have a barbecue area, a fire pit, a pool, an arbour, a children's play area, paving, lawn, vistas, privacy, seating, and so forth. So you need to come up with all these things and write them all down. And then do the do the uh, 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 do yourself a real service. Start up a book. So if you're going through a magazine and you see something, or Pinterest is another great one, um, because once you've done all that, and then you sit back, you know, after a month after you added all those bits and pieces, you actually see your actual growth in how you're looking at things and seeing, th oh, did I pick that? Mm. Oh, that looks pretty ordinary. Mm. But these are the sorts of things that you've got to do, you know. You've got to work out what's best for you in your garden, you know. So, for, in for instance, um, I get a lot of clients that actually have children and, and they want a play area. So the one of the easiest places to have a play area is where you spend most of your time, which is in the living area or in the kitchen, that sort of thing. So you want to be able to be, have, have a space that you can see those children in that area. Out the window. Out the window, yeah. So that needs to be somewhere that's pretty close. A barbecue, for instance, you need that close to the kitchen. You don't want it down right down the very backyard because if you it's pouring with it. rain or <laughs> whatever, it's just ne never going never gonna to work. Um, now, when it comes to creating garden rooms, um, think about the wise words of Australia's greatest landscape designer, Edna Walling, when she said, a garden you can see all at once is not much of a garden at all. And what that means is, that if you can see the whole garden from where you stand, why would you bother exploring it? Why would you bother going and having a look at it? My only other other piece of advice would, would be to engage professional if you don't think you can put that sort of thing together. It's as simple as that. Great. Good luck, Laura. That sounds great. Here's one from Georgina. I've been following Keith's advice with my lawn, cutting low, using the broad fork and giving it a good dose of rooster booster and it's looking extremely happy. But I have inherited a motley crew of a lawn that seems to contain a range of grass, some running like kikuyu and others more upright, as well as a lot of clover and other weeds. Too much to just dig out. They all grow at different rates, so letting the lawn grow to the highest mower level looks untidy as it's uneven and patchy. What would Keith suggest I do? I would prefer not to use herbicide as I also have two garden beds dug into the lawn area, mm -hmm. so don't want to risk impacting these plants. Any suggestions are welcome. Okay. Hi, Georgina. Look, um, the, the, the most dominant grass in my lawn is actually kaikuyu, and this is a tough, creeping uh, and weed smothering grass from South Africa. And once once we have some warmer weather, it will absolutely take off. Now that's what I think you're, you're going to have sections of that in your lawn already. Now in summer, when it's, it's actively growing, you can break up a runner. So you just go across and pull it and you lift that out. And then you can break that into small little pieces and then go and, and plant that as what's called sprigging in the areas that it's not dominating in right at this moment. And that's a great cheap solution to encouraging it. So once that's happened, you need to once again give it a feed with rooster booster and then apply some regular watering on, on that particular part. And that 
kikuyu will absolutely dominate that whole area. It'll outsmother the clover. It'll take off all the other little um, types of grasses that you, you've got in there. And then it's just simply a matter of following that regime. So you keep that mower nice and hot, high, so that it's, um, you know, giving that grass lots and lots of opportunities to have deep roots. And then come the, 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 the winter time or early spring, drop your mower down, slash it right down to the ground, and that will take off again in the summer again. So that's all I can really suggest. Um, the, the runners of, of Kokuyu are just so easy to divide, um, and, and they all nearly contain little nodes, so they'll just take off. But all you've got to do is just get a, like a, a little small fork and just scrape the soil back, put the little sprig in there, and just lightly cover it up, and it'll take off. That's such a great idea. Great advice. Fantastic. Okay, the next question is from Amy. I'm wondering if you are able to make some suggestions of what to plant under a mango tree. It is heavily shaded and the soil is compacted black soil. We're in the Lockyer Valley in Queensland and I would appreciate any suggestions. Well, Amy, what about some nasturtiums? You can get a lot of lovely different coloured nasturtiums that um, look happy, pretty. bright and pretty. Other things you can do underneath those trees is grow some ginger, turmeric, cardamom. They'll all grow beautifully underneath that. And then if you want to try just something a little bit different, um, for instance, if, if you wanted to put a little circular border around around that, that, um, that, that the uh, tree, mango. the mango, then you could use what's called a midgen berry, which is a plant called Ostromyrtus dulcis. Um, and these plants will thrive in that locality and they'll give you some fruit. They're an absolutely beautiful little plant. So I try those. I try the nasturtiums, ginger, turmeric, cardamom, and then the midgen berries. Fabulous. We have a citrus tree pest question now from Jeff. My lemon tree is full of citrus gall wasp. Good old citrus gall wasp. I'm going to give it a big prune to cut off all the infected limbs and burn them, but what can I use as an organic spray to eradicate the wasps? Jeff, I would suggest that um, you, you use eco neem oil and eco oil. Mix those two, two together at the right rates and then spray, the, spray the, the tree on a regular basis. So I would be doing it on a weekly spray basis. But you really need to remove all the gall wasps um, because that's going to be an ongoing problem if you don't. Now, the thing about the, the gall wasp, it is an Australian native wasp. And it, it, is, it, it grows on our finger limes, for instance, which are a much sought-after plant. And they just spread throughout the whole of the, the, the citrus injury, become a real pain. So whenever you, get, whenever you see those little um, galls, cut them off and then throw, throw that into a bag and then bin it. The little wasps... going to burn them, he says. You can burn them, yeah, that's fine. Um, what you'll find with those little wasps is, is that they will come out of that gall and they will literally walk not fly because they're only tiny and they're wind-affected, walk up the, the, to the newer part of the stem and lay their new eggs in there. So by cutting behind the old, the old gall, you've taken that, that next lot of problems away. And those plants will come back nicely, give them a good feed, and bang, they'll take off. So there you go. Done. Done. Beautiful. Good luck, Jeff. Uh, okay, we've got time to squeeze one or two questions in from Emma. She says, I'm based in Ballarat on an east-facing block. 
Our neighbours are completing a very large extension along our northern boundary. And I'd like to plant a screen of some sort, either a hedge or smaller trees, for increased privacy and a more pleasant outlook. This fence line gets full winter shade and then the hot afternoon summer sun. And we often get frost in winter too. Please help. Okay, Emma. My plant suggestions are as follows. A hybrid lily pilly, and this is, is called, botanically is called Syzygium austral, and the variety is called straight and narrow. And this plant will grow to five metres tall, but only one metre wide. And I would suggest that you would plant those at 70 centimetres apart. So 70 centimetres from the centre of the trunk to where the next centre of the trunk is. And that will then give you a beautiful, dense green wall up to five metres. And it'll tolerate those, that condition really, really nicely. Another variety is also a lily pilly, but a totally different looking form. And this is one called Waterhousia floribunda. Um, and this will easily get over, over five metres tall. But the problem you're going to have with this one is you're going to need to clip it and clip it on a regular basis because it will tend to encroach that space. So there's the two. Um, maybe you're giving even, even a third or a fourth, perhaps. Um, there's a plant called Escalonia. And there's two varieties of it that I would recommend. There's one called Ivei and the other one's called Ilinata. And they will also grow in those sorts of conditions really, really quite nicely. But you're going to have to make sure, sure that you've got really good quality soil with any of those in order to get the best out of them. Of course, of course. Question number two from Emma. We have a west-facing shed which I'd like to plant either a creeper on or plants in front of. It is made of tin. What would you suggest? Okay, so the first one I'd go for would be a climbing fig. And the variety is Ficus pumilla, and the variety is pumilla minima. That means it's got a, a, a very, very small leaf. Um, and and this, this plant will have spectacular seasonal foliage coming out through it. Absolutely brilliant. But it's going to be evergreen, and it's going to be as tough as old boots once it's, once it's up and, and going. Um, the other thing uh, for spectacular foliage would be the Boston ivy. Um, then the, the one I would suggest there is, is a plant called Parthenocissus tricuspidata, and there's amazing forms of this particular plant. However, this is deciduous. Yeah. So you've got that skeletal effect, which mm -hmm. I think looks sensational nice. anyway, yeah. Yeah. in the middle. But then you get the beautiful colours of the new leaves, the, the, the deep green older leaves, and then coming, coming into um, autumn. autumn, you get this sensational reds. show of the reds and Orange. the bronzes and the oranges. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So I think they would, they would be my suggestions. So I hope that helps. Yes, it's helped me too. Thank you, because I've got a tin shed too, Emma. <laughs> okay, we have come to the end of another Q&A session. Thank you, Keith, of course, and thank you to our listeners for sending in your fabulous questions. Now for the exciting bit, this month's prize from the Plant Runner, which we love. Our November winner is Laura, who wanted some advice on creating some rooms throughout her garden. So thank you, Laura. Uh, we will be in contact with you shortly for, for your details. And yet again, a huge thanks goes to the team of the Plant Runner for their fabulous support of Muddy Boots with the monthly Q&A prize. Make sure to check out their fantastic gardening products at theplantrunner.com. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.